Hey, Blockheads. This is DM Mitch with the Dungeon Master's Block. This episode you're about to hear is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Today's audiobook recommendation is Elminster, The Making of a Mage by Ed Greenwood. Elminster is one of the most legendary heroes of the Forgotten Realms. If you've never heard his story, this is the book to start with. And good news, if you like this book, there's many, many more Elminster books to come. Go to audibletrial.com slash DMB today for your free audiobook and trial. Once again, help support us at the block by going to audibletrial.com slash DMB for a free audiobook. Thank you. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jopemaniac. And I am your other host, Dungeon Master Mitch. We're back for part two of the Ed Greenwood interview. And I know you've probably been chomping at the bit to hear what's next. Of course, it's filled with more great information, minimal talking on the part of DM Mitch and myself, because (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how you don't let him talk as much as possible. You just have to sit and just, man, to sit and be able to be in a conversation with him. It's it's great. It was amazing. And is ridiculous as this may sound both mitch and i feel that this second half is better than the first quite literally (laughs) we laughed we cried and we got amazing world building info for the listeners of the dungeon masters block yeah there is a story coming up in this second part of the interview that is heartwarming and it it not only just says so much about role-playing games in general but it also you can see the heart of ed greenwood and that was something that both me and neil just we if there's something that we can take away from this interview which there's a lot me and neil i know from talking to him this story is at the top of our list so stick around for that (laughs) no more on that for now you will hear it at the end of the interview stick around for that but before we get into the meat we have some five-star reviews. And once again, paying homage to Ed Greenwood, these two five-star reviews come from Canada. And so the first one is from Z Rill. I couldn't wait. When it comes to everything nerdy that I choose to use my time with, I can be a bit of a dork because I gotta start at the beginning and watch everything in order all the way to the end. To go on the adventure and see the arc before I give it a fair shake, I'm into Podcast 30, and I can't resist telling you guys how much I love this. And this is back in November 29th, so hope you're all caught up, Z-Real. That is so awesome. Uh, He goes on to say, it gives me more and more inspiration to DM and get new people into playing Dungeons & Dragons, or in my case, Pathfinder. Though 3.5 was the best D&D. Yes, I, I don't really, see yes. that written there. Oh, wait, no, it is. It is. Another it is. It is. Thanks for all the wonderful ideas. And I shall email you about the successes and failures of my party's adventures. So I'm hoping that you have emailed us yes. because we love getting emails from you guys, z So if you haven't emailed us yet, your word is now on air. It is not only written on iTunes, but it's on air. So uh, write us some emails. And if you have emailed us, say, hey, it's me. It's E-Real. You read my comment on air, and then we will know, and we will make the connection. So for the next one, it is by Zombot45768. I don't know if that's a reference to something. <laughs> and if it is, it is lost on me, and I'm he sorry. He just smashed his hands on the keyboard. <laughs> Someone had taken Zombot, and he was very frustrated. Yeah. 
<laughs> all so the way up to where you had to take the, all those numbers. Oh, please, Zombot, don't tell me that you tried all of them. <laughs> so many Zombots. So for this one, it's titled Awesome for DMs Both New and Experienced. Five stars. I can honestly say that these guys are the reason that I decided to DM my own custom campaign. Yes. Their podcast is a treasure trove of ideas for any campaign. Story time is a blast and top tens are great. Long live the food mage. And Long keep, live, yes. <laughs> and keep on dungeon mastering. Awesome. Yes. Thank you, Zombot. Zombot, you're Four, awesome. 45768. 45768. 45,767 of you. Write not a review as cool. When you get a mm-hmm. chance. Yeah, maybe maybe they're as cool, but not yet. Definitely not yet. Thanks, Zombot. <laughs> All right. And without any further ado, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Carving that! Just a mouthful! No! Looks like meat back on the menu, boys! So our next question is, I think a lot of listeners and a lot of Dungeon Masters out there making their own world. For myself, I know when I started creating my world of Atos, your Forgotten Realms was a, a huge inspiration to me. And I, I pulled ideas from it. I changed them. I like, you know, that, that was and you are an inspiration to world builders out there. So the question I want to ask, though, is. Where is it that you derive inspiration from when you're creating worlds? Who is it that you drive inspiration from? Where do you get inspiration from for world building yourself? Everywhere. I know it's a flippant answer, but <laughs> no, life. Life, the universe, and everything. Nice. I grew up in the 60s. And in the 60s, it was the try everything once. So yeah, the, the, the try everything once can be taken too far. I would not want anybody to be as unwise enough as to say, okay, I've got to rob a bank mm-hmm. once just to see what it's like. I've got to crash a car once just to see what it's like. It's not great. I've done that. No, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I did do things like, okay, what's it like to wake up in a graveyard that you slept, mm-hmm. spent the night in? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? Is it cold? Is it damp? What's it like? Because I can't write about it unless I've tried it. So I did a bit of that. I did a bit of caving, you know, spelunking, exploring caves and so on, so I could understand what it was like. I rode horses bareback. I rode horses without reins and a saddle to see what it was like. Bad idea, folks. <laughs> but I mean, I was building the experience. Things I you might not want to do. If you're shy, you probably don't want to do any public speaking or acting on stage. But you, I tried both of those because I got to feel what it's like to start singing, to sing in falsetto and try and sing high-pitched female parts when I'm a bass, you know, just to try what it's like. What does it feel like? I'm trying things and I'm building up my storehouse of knowledge. And the other thing is, I'm constantly reading. I probably read around three books a day, every day of my life, unless real life happens and I have to do something like get behind the wheel and drive to Gen Con for the entire day. No, I don't read behind the wheel. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you don't. <laughs> State troopers frown on that. <laughs> yeah. You're going to go back to try and doubt what it feels like to crash a car. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> There's constant input. And it doesn't, and, it, and this is the thing I want people to understand. This does not mean that you read something and steal it. Okay. Mm-hmm. This means you read all sorts of weird stuff. Somebody asks you, okay, but when did we first get vaccines? Okay. It doesn't matter if Wikipedia or whatever out on the internet is right or not. We can go and look it up. And you can find yourself reading about something you never knew about, about Edward Jenner. Doctors had reusing the same blood-soaked coat because they would do surgery with saws and so on. There was no idea of, of being clean or antiseptic. And you're suddenly reading about this. And then, hey, you click on something else and it's the definition of an arcane word. Or it's the sort of crocus flower that we get saffron from and why and and because how saffron is so expensive all this sort of fake saffrons that people unscrupulous people have sold you know and 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 you're suddenly reading about all sorts of neat stuff and you jump to the next thing and jump to the next thing and your head is then a sink of useless trivia and that's how you become a great writer (laughs) 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 but no the, the richer your life experience is there's that old saying that has been reused by rock musicians, Kim Mitchell, 
used it as, a, as the refrain of one of his rock songs, you can only drive down Main Street so many times. And that's the recurring chorus about growing up as a bored teenager in a small town. You drive up and down Main Street because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> well, that's the thing. With the internet, with books, with all of this stuff coming at us, there are thousands of things to do. And as Terry Pratchett had death say in Hogfather, that death found humans endlessly fascinating because in a world so rich they'd managed to invent boredom. And he just couldn't understand it. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing. I'm never bored. I may want to get away from what I'm doing right now. Like, mm -hmm. how much longer am I going to have to sit in this hospital before someone, you know, you know, there's that. Or how much longer is it going to take before they're finished in the bathroom because I want to <laughs> go. You know, so, there's, so there's, there's those sort of, you know, time dilation things. But I'm really never bored because I've always got all these stories trying to get told in my head. And I'm working on the next one, which is the neat thing about the Ed Greenwood group. I'm literally working on eight or nine stories at once. So my brain's going, <laughs> all the time. It never stops. Yeah, going to sleep is sometimes difficult because my brain wants to keep, you know, the, the energizer bunny of ideas is going, dum, 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 to reference yet another commercial for which I presume we should play product placement. <laughs> but never mind! <laughs> I'm always awash in a world of ideas. And what ifs. You mentioned mm -hmm. Marvel's what if comics. I'm always doing what if. So for the next one, this is very, very much a question from me. I like that we even put my name next to it. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we've begun to build a world collaboratively through our forums mm -hmm. for the Dungeon Masters block using weekly exercises for Dungeon Masters that we call DMnastics. And it's just the basic setup is to help keep their skills fresh. You know, and if you're always in your world and never trying to think about something different, this is a way to just get in and keep new ideas going. So what advice would you have for us as a community trying to build a world together? Because we tie back the exercise to the episode and create more in this world that we've been making. Number one, you have to keep it fun. And in order to keep it fun, you need to know what the majority of you who are going to be enjoying this world together what turns your crank? Do you like big hack and slash, fight your way across the throne room and butcher the evil thing on the throne and take it? Or do you like intrigues where you cozy up to the lady with the fan and say, my lady, I've heard it said that on certain nights the king can be seen in the end tower. What do you know about that? You know, what do you want in a story, in an adventure, an unfolding adventure? And so you have to figure out what everybody wants. Okay, are we giving enough to everybody? Are we ticking their boxes? If so-and-so doesn't think dinner is complete until there's cake, then somebody's got to make sure the cake's there. It's a question of how can we tell good stories that are logical instead of saying, oh, Neil wants a cake. A cake falls out of the sky and hits <laughs> you on the head. And everybody goes, Hey, that was funny, yeah. but it's not realistic and it's not part of the story and it was fake and it was added on and I feel sort of insulted because you bolted it on and made a joke out of it <laughs> at the last minute instead of thinking of me, you know. And, and they're not actually going to say that, but in their subconscious, that's what's... In, hey, they don't care about me. I don't matter. I'm chopped liver. But so-and-so over there always wants the adventures to have songs and dances in them. We had five songs and dances. Well, I guess who I know the prince mm. and princess are here. You know, and you want everybody to feel that they matter. You know, what's that, that thing in the old nursery story? And he sat in my bed and he broke it. <laughs> you know, and it's just right. Okay, everybody should. You've got to find something that's just right for everybody. Make sure those elements are there. Whether you develop them or not, make sure they're there. And if you do that then you know you're making the world rich enough. You're putting enough toys in the sandbox that if Jimmy comes over from next door and Jimmy tears all the heads off the Barbie dolls and wants to guillotine them and so on and wants to smash all the trucks against each other, that when Jimmy leaves, because he's worn out from destroying things, there are still going to be toys there for the next group of kids to play with because you put enough toys in the sandbox. And there are things in there that Jimmy left alone and unbroken because he just stares at it and goes, 
What's that? That's not a toy. But somebody else goes, Oh, thank goodness, Jimmy didn't break my toy again. Now we can have fun. So you're making sure that you've got enough for everybody. And that way, even if you make a mistake in your world building or something unbalanced or a dead end in the storytelling, you've put enough toys in the sandbox and they're not new and bolted on and fell out of the sky like the cake at the last minute. They've been there all along, so they belong. And you can pick them up and say, you know the old man who's been sleeping on the porch all this time? Well, you guys have been having your brawls on the main street. Well, that old man stands up now and he throws away his pipe and he throws away his hat and he throws off his cloak and there's shining armor underneath it. And he twists the dial on the breast of the shining armor and suddenly he's a beautiful woman. And this beautiful woman draws a sword and looks at you and says, I've watched your games. There are going to be some changes around here. And she comes down off the porch with the sword in her hand. What are you going to do? <laughs> okay. You see, you can do that because you have built the element into the story and left it on stage. This used to be a design principle of the realms. For every story, riddle, unfinished end in the realms that you explain away or tie off, every mystery that you solve, I want three new ones. Hmm. That's the old elbow room, laughed Daniel Boone. I want the dungeon master to build new elbow room in. So as we solve the riddles, new challenges, new mysteries, and everybody loves the mystery, come into the world constantly. So it's always alive. It's never static. And it's never waiting for the player characters to come on stage and then we'll turn the lights on and all the non-player characters that have been standing motionless with dust settling on their eyeballs will suddenly walk and talk <laughs> and do things and the player characters walk off and they all freeze again. <laughs> Because then the player characters realize that they are the only people breathing life into this world. You want a world that, although it doesn't feel nasty to them, it isn't the world out to get them. That's the dungeon master mistake. The, the world is alive and chugging along. And if you guys take a week off, you take a week off and things will happen and you'll miss them. Hmm. I mean, there are weeks in the political life of the country you're sitting in right now that if, you, if you'd gone to a cabin with no internet, no electricity, no radio, no newspapers, and spend a week fishing, and you could come back and you could have new people running the country. You could have mm -hmm. a completely new set of laws. You could have a whole bunch, of, and you said, what happened? Okay, <laughs> that should be able to happen, or the player character should be able to feel it'll happen in the fantasy setting, because it means the setting is alive. And then they feel like, I gotta participate, or I'm doomed. Whereas if you world build and it feels like everything's waiting for the player characters to, hey, you know you're not supposed to press the switch? Go ahead, because I want to I wanna have an adventure. <laughs> press the switch. And then they realize, oh, it, I have to press the switch or pull a lever or nothing happens. See, that's why I, I don't want to run my characters through Tomb of Horrors. Mm -hmm. Like, press the switch and you get killed. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want the sort of dungeon where they go in and they have to talk to the floating skull. And the floating skull seems to know all the bad things they did when they were six years old. How does the floating skull know this? Floating skull doesn't want to tell them. It just wants to laugh. You see? <laughs> this is, you see, immediately my mind is buzzing. I want to know. And that's what you want to do as a world builder. You want to, you want to draw people into the world so they want to do things. They want to learn things and they want to succeed in the world. They want to become rulers or they want to become important or they want to defend the, the nice little village that they grew up in or the nice little village they fell in love with because they visited it once and say, this place is almost perfect. Nothing should ever disturb this place. And this place is called the Shire. And guess what? <laughs> you see, um, that's what you want to put in your world building. Now, how to do that in terms of exercises? I would do things like design something I can throw into a game for later. I'll just give you an example. The big fight on Main Street. In the middle of the fight, you as Dungeon Master said, well, you know, and because the guy's looking around for a rock or something because his sword just broke. And you say, well, there's a man with silver eyeballs watching you from an upstairs window. And he's n smiling and nodding knowingly. And that's all you say. And after the fight, he says, hey, that guy with the silver eyeballs, he says, oh, you don't see him anywhere. If he goes running into that building, he's gone. And if he says, did you see a guy with silver eyeballs? No. <laughs> Nobody lives here but me and my family. None of us have silver eyeballs. What are you talking about? But he was at that window. Oh, that room's been shut up since my grandmother died in it. Nobody goes in there. You, you must be drunk. You must be joking. There could never have been anybody at the window. But I saw him. Okay, 
five adventures later. Guy with a silver eyeball, smiling and nodding knowingly. I see him again. Well, who is he? Well, you don't have to know his dungeon master. You just keep building him up, keep including him. And they'll be going, what is it with the silver eyeballs? <laughs> okay, they'll, they'll figure out something. And then when you need a follow-up to an adventure, you need a sequel and you'd say, well, we couldn't have had any witnesses because, you know, everybody died in that battle except the heroes. Wait a minute. The guy with the silver eyeballs. <laughs> and you can build a new adventure. So, I mean, stuff like that. What's your own version of that? Rather than a guy with silver eyeballs. Get them to develop their own version of that. Those are the sort of things because they're storytelling elements rather than mechanical stuff. I mean, yes, here, here's one thing that every dungeon master should have at the table. A fairly detailed caravan down on a sheet of paper. So if, if the player characters jump into this wagon, what's in the wagon? Instead of having to make something up off the top of your head, you can tell them exactly what the cargo is. Okay, or if you meet a patrol, the king's patrol, or the guards on the gates, okay, what are their hit points? What do they look like? How many of them are there? What weapons do they have? Um, and you've got to know all this stuff, because what's going to happen? Okay, that guard is knocked out. We have to sneak into the castle. Strip him. i got to put on his armor. <laughs> you've got to know right away. Is that armor going to fit? Or is it going to be one of those... Your thief is clanking along as pieces mm -hmm. of armor that are ten times too big for him fall <laughs> off of him. Or, um, conversely, your Amazon character, you know, the, the milkmaid, she's clanking along with a helmet that doesn't fit her, perched <laughs> up on top of her head, and a little piece of armor played out here, and a little piece of armor played out there, and she used the guy's sword belt to try and attach those two pieces of armor plate across the uh, <laughs> chest so they won't fall off. You know, and if you knew all this stuff, it's done for you. Instead of having to make it up at the table and have the players think that you, the dungeon master, are being their enemy. Instead, it's, no, this is the world. I detailed the world. Here it is. This is what you find. Now, why do we always find things where the batteries are dead? Well, it's just the way it is. It's not the dungeon master being nasty. It's what was... What's there? I like what you said about what happens if the players decide, oh, we're going to take a break for a while while the world changes. I, I have felt it myself as a dungeon master before where it, a lot of times it's always like, oh, like I have a, I have a companion animal and I want to, I want to train it. I want to get it to do this. <laughs> well, that takes time. What are you going to, what are you going to do? You're going to go on, on this adventure and then come back. No, no, no. We'll just, we'll just wait four weeks for it. Mm -hmm. And in my mm -hmm. mind as dungeon master, sometimes I've, I've found myself in the past, like sweating, like, wait, but you can't do that because the world, it, it things are changing. Like things are bad. Things are going to happen. This is going to happen. You guys should feel motivated by this. And I think it's as dungeon master, we should go. Yeah. The world does change, and if that's what they decide to do, okay, so change the world. Let them <laughs> four understand. Weeks, eh? That's going to be four weeks of the 8 o'clock yeah. work raids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, let, let the world change and let that drive that adventure and let them understand as players this world isn't going to just wait for them. It's going to change around them. And maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. It depends on what's happening. Yeah. The world is alive. Yeah. And then it matters. And then it's something that hooks you even more because it's alive. <laughs> I like that idea also with like the dungeon, like a large dungeon. Because right now I'm running my players through the Emerald Spire. Mm -hmm. You should be familiar <laughs> with that. Uh, I loved the level that you wrote. And the idea of like, okay, well, you think you can go for two weeks? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is a convenient home that someone is now going to repopulate. So prepare yourself. Uh, yeah, I was... The Emerald Spire is one of the most frustrating things for me to design because I had to keep taking things out. A, because of word count, and B, because of where it was in the, in the dungeon. I was writing something that was such a killer and had so many little tricks and traps. And, and Rich Baker, who was you know, doing the overseeing editing, was going, oh, Ed, okay, you're like five times over your word count, and there's no way they're going to survive this level at that level but i just want to be no yeah that's nice save it for <laughs> you know so we had to keep taking things out so yeah originally i i, I really crammed that level and he, he was like no and you can't do this to people sure i can and and and, and can we have the, the the pretty girl and the sitting on the tomb that they can talk to who of course is the monster but she wants to find out all about them and how many of them there are and what treasure they're carrying before she kills them so she's gonna sit down and become their friend 
And then she's going to try and walk off with each one of them separately to have a little private talk so she can kill them on their own, you know. <laughs> and he said, we haven't got word count for that. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but yes, uh, the, the endless dungeon that repopulates with a reason. Mm -hmm. For instance, if there's this huge monster next door to this room full of little monsters, why hasn't the huge monster eaten them long ago? <laughs> and by the way, where does the huge monster go to the bathroom? Are there piles of dung everywhere? Because <laughs> if so, somebody designed the dungeon properly. Mm -hmm. If there aren't, and if that dragon can't possibly fit in the doors to the room it's right. in, yep. <laughs> you know, I go, nah. you see, immediately I don't care as much because it doesn't feel as real to me. Yeah. And if there's a secret or a reason, like if I'm exploring something that is the equivalent of a Cold War missile silo, so... Every place we go into has a purpose and a meaning, but we just don't quite understand what it is yet. Then the setting itself becomes intriguing. We've got to find out what this is. You know, what if, what if early on you find the control thing and you realize that you can look at every castle in the kingdom and it can zero in with crosshairs and there are buttons underneath it and it talks about fire rate and detonation size and so on and you're going, uh-oh. <laughs> and then you go through the rest of the dungeon and you're trying to find, okay, what are the things that this does? Can we deactivate them? Can we sabotage them? Because I want to go home to that castle knowing that it's in the crosshairs of whoever's mm. sitting in this chair. <laughs> you know? And then you have the, do I have to sacrifice myself heroically to wreck the machine? Hmm. You know, where you take your sword and you leap off the high bit with yeah. your sword to go down to the... And, and, in slow motion, of course. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the, the moral choice there. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. So, Ed, a lot of our listeners are dungeon masters who are building their own custom worlds for Excellent. their players to play in. And as an encouragement and an affirmation, what, in your opinion, is the benefit for them to be doing that, to be creating their own worlds for their players to be playing in? Well, what I touched on earlier you can tailor a world to cater to what your players want to do around the table, to both challenge them, but to make sure they get what they want, to get what, when they will say, oh, that was great. When they're all leaving to go home, they say, oh, that was great tonight, because they got to do something, or they got to face something, or they got to endure or, or experience something that ticks the buttons for them. It's what they wanted. And that's something you can do so easily when you tailor make the world and is something that you have sometimes have to scramble so hard to do when you're taking a published adventure and trying to adapt it on the fly. So yeah, I salute everybody who creates their own world. It is one of the most noble professions in the world. <laughs> right after actually fixing all the problems of the world and bringing about <laughs> world peace is doing it in fantasy worlds because, hey, it's the dry run. Mm -hmm. Or as my players used to say, it's the wet run. <laughs> because of all the blood and guts. That, oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> we have a couple questions, I think, to end off with. Neil's going to ask one right now that we we opened up to our Patreon dragons and we knew that we knew that these were coming so they're very I think they're the rest of these are definitely all they want to hear from the creator of the Forgotten Realms so Neil what are, what are these last couple questions that we got going start us off and it almost feels weird to call you the creator of the realms still because of how much work you're still yeah. doing <laughs> Like the the unfinished creator of the realms. <laughs> yes, the creating of yes. the realms rather than the creator. <laughs> but one of our patrons, Friar Took, asked what era uh, or area of the Forgotten Realms sits closest to your heart? Ah, uh, there's a trick question there because I love it all. Okay. Okay? Mm. And I really do love it all because you have mm. to love it when you're working on it, even the frozen bits or the fiddly bits, the fjords, you have to <laughs> love what you're working on at the time. There are places I would like to spend time in more than mm -hmm. other places, the dales, and not necessarily the dales under the sway of Zental Keep either, or the ones that are too <laughs> dominated by Sembia. I, I'm really talking Shadowdale and Mistledale. You know, the, I would love to visit there and hang out there. I would love to go to Storm's Kitchen and be fed a nice meal. Have a little vacation house there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love that. Um, yeah. I would like to visit Waterdeep, 
but that's sort of like let's go into town to the bars, you know. I, I don't know if I want to live everywhere in Waterdeep. If I if I was a really rich noble living one a of those lord mansions, of Waterdeep, yeah, yeah. Although you'll get to see in in a certain book called Death Masks that's due mm-hmm. out in June, you'll get to see how being a lord of Waterdeep might not be all it's cracked up to be. Hmm. But perhaps I. Perhaps I say too much. So, um, but, but never, no. never. Keep saying more. <laughs> okay. Say more. Yeah, Waterdeep would be a nice place to visit if you had somebody to watch your back and had all the money in the world. It's yeah. sort of like, okay, I do not want to walk naked down the streets of Waterdeep just like I don't want to walk naked down the streets of New York mm-hmm. for the same reasons. But if I'm very wealthy and a limo is taking me everywhere, and I'm not in any hurry, because that limo is going to be in bumper-to-bumper traffic and take forever (laughs) to get anywhere, I wouldn't mind visiting either New York or Mm -hmm. Waterdeep. (laughs) Cormier, the kingdom of knights and good guys and dastardly nobles. I would like to visit Cormier. And I would like to visit, like I said, all the other places. So I really don't have a, a favorite area. The favorite areas for me right now, the ones I'm going to explore a little more in the uh, what I'm doing with the Dungeon Masters Guild to publish in the realms in the years ahead, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the neglected areas. The bits that we haven't covered 42 times. The bits that we've sort of glossed over. The cities that are just name on a map. Or a name in two paragraphs in one, one realm's source book that covered like a large region. I want to give Dungeon Masters new little sandboxes all over the realms to play in. So I'm going to take Mert, and he's going to go and have an adventure there. Yes. Nice. And then, then I'll do a, a mini Volo's Guide, because Volo survived too, you know. <laughs> and um, do a Volo's Guide to the same area. And then we'll do adventures, little mini adventures, little dribs and drabs you can add in. And that's what we'll do through the Dungeon Master's Guild for, for the realms. At least that's the plan right now. In terms of favorite era, well, that's twofold. The Home Realm campaign is still back around 1359, 1360 right now. Time of Troubles has not happened because we vote on everything. And they voted, no, we don't want this Time of Trouble things to happen in our realms. So it hasn't. I can tell you right now, even though we haven't had the vote, what they're going to say about the spell plague. (laughs) Because they think this, this idea of doing upheaval and telling God stories, they think that personally for them it's crazy. They think, no, no, we shouldn't be hearing about the gods except when we go to pray. Because the moment we move to the gods, we move away from player characters. Player characters should be doing what they want. And it shouldn't be destiny, because that means the player characters aren't being heroes. They're following a script that some god told them to follow. They're not being heroes. We want to have our adventures. And everybody in the realms, and that's something that, you know, some people in the real world have a hard time understanding. Realms is polytheistic. Everybody believes in all the gods. Nobody goes, oh, no, that isn't true. No, they believe in all the gods. So if you're going on a sea voyage, you go to evil Umberly and you leave an offering because you don't want to be sunk. And you go to the storm god, Talos, and you leave an offering because you don't want any storms when you're at sea. And you go to Shandakul because you don't want to get lost while you're at sea. And, And if it's a merchant vessel carrying cargoes, you go and make an offering to Joaquin, the merchant's friend, because you want this to be a profitable voyage. And you also go and make an offering to Timora and a propitian offering to Beshaba because you want good luck on the voyage. (laughs) And you would do all of those things. And rather than it's not, oh, which one is my God? Which one do I believe in? No, you believe in all of them. The only people in in the world who serve one deity are either priests or paladins. Everybody believes in all of them, which sort of takes it away from I'm doing this because the God told me to or because the priest told me to back to I'm taking personal responsibility for what my character does, Hmm. which is also something I think we should apply to real life. I take personal responsibility for what I do. And that's something else that role-playing teaches us. In fact, most most war games teach us that because most war games, even if they aren't role-playing, they are resource management games. If you're playing Battle of Britain games, you don't have enough fighters planes and you don't have enough fuel you don't have enough airfields you can't put enough planes in the air to defend everything what do you and you're sending these pilots to their deaths in some cases where do you send them where are they best deployed because you want to wake up in the morning and still have a country so you have to make the hard decisions and those are people who are going to leave widows and widowers 
and orphan children. You are making the cold-blooded decision, but somebody has to make it. That's what gaming teaches us. That's how gaming makes us better people, because we have to make moral decisions. It isn't all about, bam, I blow away the goblin, and that's okay, because the goblin's evil. What if you're going, bam, and that's your best friend? But you have to go, bam, because if he kills the king, and he wants to kill the king, because he's really angry with the king, but you can see the civil war that will erupt and how thousands of people will die. So you have to take your friend down. Those are the sort of difficult moral choices that if you make them in real life, you ruin real lives, including your own, of course. But when you make them for make-believe, you can see how you would react, you can see how you stand on things, and you can decide whether or not that was the right decision. Because it isn't final, because it isn't real, you can take it back and say, no, I will never do that. You know, if I'm called to war, no, I will not fight. I will drive the ambulance and I will carry the stretchers, but I won't fight. Or, yes, I will fight because someone has to. I don't want it to be my, be my little kid, so it's going to be me. You can make those moral choices and try them out for fantasy's sake so that you know what to do if you ever have to do it in real life. You know where you stand. Or at least, even if you don't know what decision you make, you know what's in play. You're not making it out of ignorance. You know exactly what rides on this decision. I saw what I saw. The boy drew the sword. <laughs> I love what you were saying about making hard decisions in role-playing, even the ones that might end in your own death. Like, I... I love tragedy and sacrifice in stories. I think if I were to list like my favorite movies, Braveheart, V for Vendetta, mm -hmm. they all end with the the character <laughs> ends up dying. Let me tell you a little story from a Milwaukee era Gen Con. They used to give me, the TSR running Gen Con at that point, used to give me brand new players to sit at my table because they knew that I was running it without rules. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have to bring your books. You didn't have to master yeah. the game. So they knew they could put newbies in to sit down. And this very young, very bright, very shy young girl came to sit at my table. So I gave her the, the character sheets to pick from. Mm -hmm. Ladies first, pick the characters. And I thought, okay, what we'll usually do is we'll give her the wizard. You know, with the most spells. What <laughs> usually happened is the fat bearded guy wearing the t-shirt sitting next to her because the whole rest of the table is fat, bearded guys in t-shirts. Okay. Um, we'll tell her what, oh, cast this spell, cast this spell. You know, in other words, they'll treat her like a little kid. Yeah. But she picked the paladin. So they went for an adventure. Okay. By the way, very shy, very bright, very young girl, precocious. Her parents come with her to the convention. They're not sure about this. You know, it's this big in downtown city. Their little girl wants, there's no way they're sending her there unattended. Mm -hmm. They go, but of course they get caught up in the convention. This is so cool, you know. <laughs> so they're they're looking at other things. They're buying stuff. They're they're looking at the games. They're but they're also keeping one ear cocked. Helicopter parents, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> one ear out. Is is that is that my baby Waiting girl? Waiting if they have yeah. to come and yeah. pull her out. <laughs> That's right. Is, is yeah. that my baby girl crying? Okay. And what happens is they go on an adventure. They get a little overbold. They go too far. And they're, going, they're getting overwhelmed, buried in waves of orcs and hobgoblins. And they finally realize we've got to run. We've got to try and get out again. And they're, it's a fighting withdrawal. And they're going down in hit points and down in hit points and down. In, and they're not going to make it. And they can see that they're not going to make it. And they go out of this room and it's got a doorway and a long passage to the next one. And she turns around, playing the paladin, and says... Farewell, my friends. It was good knowing you. And she blocks the doorway and holds it. And she is in tears in real life because she wanted so much to do good. She wanted so much to impress all these older guys. You know, she wanted to win. She wanted to come away from that table having done well. And she's just in tears because it's not going to happen. And, of course, her parents hear this. <laughs> and they're trying to get to her through the crowd. And she is just bawling. And she's going down fighting. And yes, she her character dies. She goes down fighting. 
And all of these big guys pick her up and hoist her up on their shoulders and they're cheering her. <laughs> and it was wonderful to see not just her face change, but her parents' face change. Their faces are changing as they're going from, what's going wrong? What has our little girl done? What have they done to our little girl? You know, mm -hmm. she's upset we should never have brought her. What has gone wrong here to, my little girl's a hero. Mm -hmm. And... She was getting approval from older guys, guys who would ignore her in the schoolyard. You know, she's a little kid. And they are, you know, praising her to the skies and they've hoisted her on the shoulders and they're three cheers and, you know, people heads are turning in the hall full of gamers all playing and the people are joining in and she's feeling like a million bucks and she yeah. belongs and she's done something that matters and she's been the hero and she's a little kid. She's puny, she doesn't weigh much, she's shy. She's not going to, in real life, be the big hero who wins the battle. But she was at the gaming table for that day, yeah. and she belongs, and she's done something that matters. And she can walk out of there, and she did. She walked out of there with her chin high because, hey, I saved the party. I saved yeah. my friends. Yeah. It's amazing because you play a video game, you play a board game, just a regular board game. If you're out or if you die, you, you've lost. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it said so many times. There, there's no winning at D&D. I, I disagree with that because I think the winning is, it's not winning in the same sense, but it's winning in the story. And it's so, it's so amazing to me because that's, that's a story like the, and I've had a character with uh, one of my players did very similar thing. Just he was, he was moving to Washington and so he knew he wasn't going to be able to play with us. And so his last night, he saw a moment where he could stand and fight impossible odds and die to protect the group. And I have no doubt in my mind that his, he would say that is, if not the, one of the best moments. Yeah. And the idea of the moment of, I died. What some people might think of, I failed, I lost. That's it's a winning moment in story, in protection. It's it's a defining moment, if not the defining moment in a character. And playing a role playing game is those are the moments that I think for me as a DM, I just I like those are the moments that I'll never forget. They're just amazing, and and clearly I can see from you <laughs> this is a moment you won't forget oh. and this is a moment that just stands out and yeah. is still so powerful for you it's a splendid and i'm moment. sure for her oh yeah and those guys <laughs> yeah oh yeah and i mean i have seen her once since then at a much later gen con she's married now i mean <laughs> time has passed you know the the the, <laughs> the kids i used to see at gen con the shy kids who would be brought up by their parents are parents themselves now Mm -hmm. and sometimes grandparents, and they're bringing me kids and trollers because I've been doing Gen Con for long enough now. But yeah, <laughs> that, I think, is a, is a moment that defined her as a person, too. For the rest of her life, she knows that she would go to the wall for people she cares about. She knows she would do it because she's done it. Yes, it was imaginary, but she did it. And when she could have run. She could have run at any time, and I kept saying that as a dungeon master. The door's open behind you. The door's open. Yeah, and you push that thing, the portcullis will fall. And she's thinking, yeah, but there's no way my friends won't get out in time. You know, I have to buy them time, you know. And she'd made her decision. She stuck to it, and she knows she would. So, yeah, it is a defining moment. And, and I think things like that, maybe not that dramatic, maybe not that large, but they happen around the gaming table every time. You know, when the yeah. guy says, don't worry, I got your back. You know, don't worry, as usual. I'm here, you know, sort of thing. It can be a small, jocular thing like that. But what, what is being said is, don't worry, you matter to me and I'm going to protect you. And vice versa, oh good, so-and-so's always got our backs. He belongs. You know, <laughs> whether that's said out loud, it's there. And you're building things like, like the real-life soldiers, the guys who are in the same foxhole or the guys who are in the same unit, it matters to them guys who went to Nam together and come back. You know, how they stand up for each other's families because there's that intense bonding because they went through hell together. Well, that was real life, and that was real hell. Around the gaming table, it's imaginary. We're playing make-believe together. But that doesn't make it any less powerful for those of us who are playing it. 
-hmm. it makes it matter just as much. And we will stand up for our friends because we know that they stood up for us on the battlefield. When the orcs were coming, they got our back. So now when they have to borrow the car or they need a, a few extra bucks because they're in hospital, we'll be there for them because yeah. we know that they're our true friends. And it, not everybody in life can say that, particularly in this modern day and age where we're all more isolated and we have constant contact through Skype, through Twitter, through Facebook, but we may never meet people face to face. The having belonging and having that full contact, that matters and it matters more and more. I have been used in most of my life to having the, oh, you play that strange satanic D&D &D stuff, eh? Have you ever been a member of a subversive organization? You know, that sort of stuff. Whereas <laughs> you will also encounter people who say, bosses in large corporations saying, you've been role-playing? Good. I want you. Because mm -hmm. they go, here's a team player. Here's a problem solver. Here's somebody who can think creatively on their feet. And here's somebody who has fun doing it. That's, I want people with those four fun things on my staff. That's yeah. who I want around me. Which is why we are seeing more and more movies and computer games that we go, oh, if I wish we'd had this when I was a kid. Well, what it is, it's all the people who said the exact same thing as you when they were kids are now running movie studios and they're going, I'm going to make what I want it. <laughs> you know, which is why this is the golden age. It's not the golden age for the printed book, but it's the golden age for everything else. It's the golden yeah. age for storytelling. Which is why Tag is transmedia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, changing with the times, I love that. <laughs> awesome. Thank, uh, thank you for that that story yes. and that that's awesome. We have two more questions for you. Uh, pretty, in fact, the the next one is I think you've already answered it, but we'll maybe maybe not. So the next question is it comes from DM Kaido, and DM Kaido asks Elminster, did he start out as an NPC or PC in a game of yours? Or did he start out in a in a book? Where where did he start out? He started out in short stories long okay. before 1966. So and D&D &D doesn't come along till 1974. And if you aren't right where Gary and Dave and their friends are, you don't play it till 1975 at the earliest because that's when it starts to move out across the country to other college campus gaming groups. So yeah, he's fictional first. And what he becomes in my early game sessions is he becomes the Dungeon Master's narrator NPC. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are old enough to know that Ronald Reagan wasn't just a president of the United States, <laughs> he acted before that. And mm -hmm. he actually was the old storyteller on Death Valley Days. Yeah, YouTube it, guys. Look up Death Valley Days, which is a Western, okay? <laughs> right. It was a Western TV show. I watched Back to the Future, so I knew okay. Ronald Reagan okay. was an actor. Well, at the beginning of every episode of Death Valley Days, Ronald Reagan would be peering at you through the camera in the foreground. He'd say, well, it was a rather, rather exciting time in the Valley this week. And then he would go on speaking, and the camera would pan up over his shoulder into the events of that episode. And then it would pan back at the end. So all he was was a setup narrator. That's what Elminster was. He was like, hmm. and Elminster was also the Oliver Hardy of the realms. Well, here's another fine mess you've gotten yourselves into. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he would occasionally, frustratingly, as all heck for the player characters, he would say, Oh, my dear, if you'd used the secret door three rooms back, everything would have been fine. But <laughs> now I'm afraid you're caught in the death trap and you're just going to have to die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he was my way of feeding stuff to them after yeah. they really put their foot in it. Okay. <laughs> so he was first a fictional character, never a hero, never a player character. <laughs> although I've been asked to portray him as the Dungeon Master yeah. and at Gen Cons. But no, he was not a player character. He's not a Mary Sue because he isn't my wish fulfillment. <laughs> I put myself into the realms in hidden under another name. So I, I okay. do have my wish fulfillment in the realms. <laughs> and I do have my superhero character in the realms. That was the, nice. the Quest Master, whom you only saw in a line in, in the original box set and in the North. But Elminster was the pain in the patoot non-player character. And before that, he was a fictional character. So there you go. <laughs> nice. So for this one, which should be pretty interesting to hear, is from Geeky DM. 
if you could write for another Dungeons and Dragons setting, I mean, Ravenloft, Alcadim, all the other ones, which would it be? I've written for them all already. I, that's also what I kind of <laughs> thought the answer thought would partially too. be. I was like, I feel, is there any that you haven't no, written I've, for? I've written for. Look at that. Uh, I've even written for Boot Hill and <laughs> Star Frontiers. Oh, yeah, I've written for all of the TSR worlds in print, sometimes not credited, but yes, the, I've contributed to stuff in Crin, both TSR era and Margaret Weiss Productions era. I've written Ravenloft. I contributed Gondagol and an awful lot of characters at the launch of Ravenloft. And I wrote something Ravenlofty and D&D just last week. Oh, boy. What? Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Mm, uh, so, um... Curse you for not telling us more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you Could know... Could you give us a letter? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the letter uh, S. Yeah, letter I was going to say, there's again. definitively a letter S involved. Yes, uh. there's always a letter S. Just ask my doctor. No, <laughs> um, no I've, I've actually written in, in every single one of the, what they used to call the TSR worlds. I wrote the launch spinoff, you know, Game Aid for Spelljammer after Jeff Grubb wrote the setting and came up with it. I wrote Lost Ships, the first one that went off that, with Jeff. You know, we talked back and forth about how this, the wacky physics was going to go. The only one that I wasn't in at the start was Dark Sun because that was hatched in-house was Troy Denning and um, Mary Kirchhoff, and it was sort of the anti-realms. It was everything the realms wasn't, because the realms was crumbling castles, knights in armor, Sherwood Forest, occupying yeah. the main middle ground. Okay, let's come up with a setting that is different. But I, I worked on um, El Hanim for, at the beginning. Um, that was spun out of was the, the um, Anorok, Forgotten Realms FR14 thingy, and Jeff Grubb called me up and said, okay, which spells of yours are we going to pour it over? <laughs> and literally, we sat down and, and worked. We did a lot of stuff by phone, no internet then. They <laughs> they would phone up from, from Lake Geneva, and we'd talk our way through um, another couple products. So I worked on every single TSR world. You bet. That's awesome. All of them. I've worked That's in awesome. Eberron. I've, I've worked in Dark Sun, but not at the beginning. I've worked in them all. I've designed for every single one of them. I've written fiction in most of them. And oh, yeah, because that's what we did. And the other thing is, I was one of the TSR's secret weapons. I was the freelancer they could call at the last minute when they had a product go sour and everybody had to jump in over a weekend and fix something. We would jump in. Hey, Ed, can you give us 15 spells? Hey, Ed, can you give us two non-player characters? Hey, Ed, describe a, a valley or a tower or something. We just got to fill pages. So I would do that. So I've worked on them all. <laughs> After hearing all this stuff, I got to say, it's still, even with starting at the age of six or the young age, whatever age you started at, and like you said, I work on it every day, I still can't even fathom how you've done all this. It's just you have contributed so much <laughs> to role-playing and to fantasy and to sci-fi and really we as as fans <laughs> we have to just say thank you so much and we want we want to thank you so much just for coming onto our podcast and yes. for for sharing your wisdom and your advice your stories and really i i just want to thank you so much especially for just sharing your heart with us you never know when when you read people's books and you play in their worlds, you, you you know, you don't know them as a person and you don't know when you actually talk to them. You don't know what you, what you're going to get. Yep. And I've seen you in other interviews, but I just have to say it's it's just so amazing just to see the passion that you have for for what you do. And I mean, to see <laughs> to see you tell that story and just see how it, it to this day just really mm -hmm. means so much to you. And and it, it means so much to to me and to Neil and to our listeners for you to to, to take the time to come on and to share hey. share all that. Hey, thank you, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you guys <laughs> yeah. just between you, me and the Internet, we don't do this yeah. for the money. If we wanted to do this for the money, we'd be lawyers or something like yeah. that, or bankers. We do this because we love doing it. All of yeah. us. And I mean, we do it because we love doing it. Yes, we need. We want to get paid because we, we want to be around mm -hmm. to do it next week. Want to be able to keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But you do it because you love it. And I am. I'm yeah. doing my dream job. I'm doing what I love. I'm crazy. That's how I got through all that <laughs> stuff. This year, I have to write <laughs> nine novels and a whole bunch of game stuff and work on 
computer games and work on movie treatments and uh, and do stuff like this, you know. But <laughs> but I'm I'm doing what I love, and that makes all yeah. the difference. You know, I'm not sitting there thinking, I hate this job, I hate this job. Is it five <laughs> o'clock yet? Is it five o'clock yet? Oh, I'm going to have a horrible commute home. Oh, I've got to wash my cat. <laughs> I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, oh, this is so cool. When do I get to do this next? Oh, my bum is hurting from sitting in the chair too long. Never mind. I've got to get the next chapter written. This is so <laughs> So you see, uh... I'm loving it. So thank you. And thank you, all the gamers out there who love the realms and love D&D and love role-playing and love fantasy and science fiction because hey i want to hang out with all of you that's what we do this for we don't do this so hey i am the big author yes mm, <laughs> look how shiny i am no no it's not for that i mean if if we're doing it for that reason we are really crazy uh, we're doing it so we can walk into a room and people say hey you worked on D D. here here yeah. have some pizza you know, that's what we do it for. <laughs> and oh, my name is so-and-so and I really like your thing. Tell me about this. That's what, you know, we, we want to we be welcome in the room. And it is a great honor to get to build some of those rooms that we can all pile into. So that's, and that's what I do. So thank you. A pleasure. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Thanks. If you want to keep up with what Ed is doing, you can do one of two things. You can follow him on Twitter at the Edverse, that's at the Edverse on Twitter, and you can go and check out his website, theedverse.com. Ed, thank you once again so much for joining us. Yes. We ha would love to have you back sometime in the future. We know you are busy, so uh, that'll be in the future. But thank you so much for joining oh. us. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Yeah, let's do this again. Maybe when Pony yes, Island. Please. I don't know. Yes. You know. When we see those S's come to life. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, we can ask you you're going to love questions. this. You're going to love you're it. You're going to love the S's. <laughs> so that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you have enjoyed this special two-part episode with the one and only Ed Greenwood. I know, Neil, you and I had an experience of it a lifetime being able to sit down and just pick his brain about world building and everything that he's working on right now and man we told you that story at the end fantastic and just yeah it was so awesome to see ed's heart for for gamers and for role playing and it, it really was just amazing i i don't even know what to say right now the words are are lost for me so yeah. i'm just gonna stop talking and we're gonna close it out so, Neil, if the listeners would like to get in touch with us, write us an email. Where can they do that at? You can send an email to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And you can always head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, and we will read it on air. You can also follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have updates about the show, memes, and D&D &D goodness. We have a Patreon member shout out for this week, and this week's Patreon member shout out is Mirabella Mitchell. So thank you so much, Mirabella Mitchell. We yes, thank really you. We appreciate your support. Mirabella is a silver dragon flying over the fields of DMB in the forums, in the Patreon-only section, showing everybody the might of Mirabella the dragon. Yes, and learning a lot more about the hosts of the Dungeon Master's Block. Why is that? That's because there's AMAs up on the Patreon. Oh, and that's available for everyone that's bronze dragon or higher. Any Patreon dragon. So we hope that you're enjoying that, Mirabella. But with that, it's time. We're shutting off the lights, turning off the mics, closing the laptops, saying goodbye to each other off air. Bye, Neil. We'll talk. We'll say that later. Bye, Mitch. That's what you'll say. <laughs> eh, maybe. This is going on for a while. We're going to close it out. So that's all we have this week. For the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come together to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Buenos noches! Keep on Dungeon Mastering, and remember, 
Ed Greenwood is a boss. Yep. Goodbye.